so uh, we're very also very pleased to be welcoming a very special guest um, this segment. And uh, we featured a film last couple weeks ago on the Sunday screening. It's called The End of Germ Theories, independent documentary film, hugely informative, ab- absolutely densely packed with information. And the voice of that film, his name is Steve Falconer. Uh, he's a filmmaker, among other things. Also call him a whistleblower of sorts. We'll talk a little bit about his background in a minute. But he's joining us on the line right now. Hello, Steve. Hello, Patrick, and bonjour, Freddie. Thanks for having me back. It was great on TNT last time, so I'm glad to be back. No, that was great. Thank you for joining us, and uh, really appreciate it, Steve. So I know you guys have been busy. You've you've kind of been on the circuit uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I know your colleagues, they're amazing. Uh, Some of your, well, let's say fellow travelers and, and your sort of the corner of of the of the discussion of the debate, which is expanding, by the way, it's expanding. That's what we want to see. That's the goal of this program. That's the reason this network exists uh, is to expand the discussion, to expand the discourse, to to take the Overton window and really push it uh, much wider than it normally is. That's that's what we do. So just to let people know where you're coming from, Steve, um, give give us a little introduction of of your background for our listeners at the Sunday Wire, uh, and also um, how you how you sort of drifted into this very very interesting and hugely timely timely debate about t- we'll call it terrain theory uh, and germ theory. Um, but uh, go ahead. Sure. Well, I, I don't have a medical background education. Uh, I went to school for communications, but I did spend 10 years working for the biggest health insurance company in the United States, which is why you call me a whistleblower. Um, but long story short, I, I started looking into the germ theory about, I don't know, 15 years ago when it was time to vaccinate my children. And my father was vaccine damaged, so I wanted to see if I wanted to put this into my children. I also had an episode myself before I went traveling. Um, In London, I I took all the travel vaccines before I knew this. And I had a night where, you know, my wife was out partying and I thought I was dying. Like my father was talking to me and were little choir children and angels in my bed. And I called her and I said, like, you need to come home. I think I'm dying. You know, and she said, no, 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 you're overreacting. And I said, no, 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 something's wrong. And it was right after I got all these I don't know, five or ten travel vaccines to go around the world. Um, And my father's severely vaccine damaged from a flu shot. So I started looking into this many years ago. And to my horror, I read all the literature uh, starting from the beginning, you know, with uh, everything you could find. And I couldn't see any proof there were viruses or that bacteria caused any harm. And I ran into my friend Amanda Vollmer, Dr. Vollmer, and... um, We've been talking about this for a long time. I was also studying esoteric biochemistry, and um, so I, and I had a newspaper as well, Truth Serum News, which we have a website, Truth Serum News, and Facebook kicked our newspaper off. But um, so anyway, I, you know, later my my best friend made a Space Busters channel, and I got into the filmmaking, and then COVID hit. So I decided, like, this was a good platform for me to come forward and talk about this because I know about this. And, um, yeah, for some reason, the the videos we made on this subject just started going viral. You know, some of them had millions of views, and uh, here I am. And so, look, uh, it's 
to, to call this a, a multi-layered topic that's immensely complex is an understatement. And what makes it double complex, Steve, is that if we're dealing with two different layers of reality, um, and I think you can speak to this as much as I could or anybody else here, um, we I grew up trusting my parents trusted our doctors. They trusted the pharmaceutical companies, the brands. They were loyal to the brands. They they believed the treatment prescriptions, the, the, the prognosis, the diagnosis. There was never any reason because we didn't feel we were qualified to question anything like that. We just rolled with it. I got those travel vaccines like you. Um, I have no idea, you know, whether I was sick after that. I didn't have any clue that it might have been to do with that as an example. Um, so that makes that, that double layer of reality um, makes it twice as complex to break through. Um, so t t tell us about, you know, what people who you've talked to who've seen your films that you would consider to be in the kind of mainstream orthodoxy and have you had anybody have an epiphany as a result of seeing your material? Well, quite a lot. You know, I have to read the comment sections, obviously, after my films. And I can tell you more than dozens of times, I've had doctors, virologists coming on, uh, lab technicians saying, I want my med school money back. I learned more in this three hours than I did in, you know, six years of med school. Or I've been doing these exams and assays like your friend uh, all these years, and it never really dawned on me about the, the the fallacy of this like you know it, it's as as dr stefan lankas said it's not that the virologists are trying to deceive the public it's that they themselves have been deceived they're just taught in school this is how you do it and this is how you interpret the results and they don't question it i was just on a podcast with uh, dr sam bailey and her husband dr mark bailey on thursday and i asked them about med school you know i said how much nutrition or virology, epidemiology, how, what did they teach you? And they, they said nothing, Barely, like, like days and weeks, maybe tops, nothing on virology. And they're so busy learning this Latin language about all the biochemical names for the body and the parts and things. They're like so busy learning this language that they don't have time to question it because it's it's almost like you're you know you're learning a whole uh, like legalese for those who get into straw man and legal fiction it's very much like that what ha what it says in law dictionaries is not the same meaning of a word we get in webster's dictionary you know so and then they have their own special medical uh, library is the problem as dr dennis McEwen said the medical students in college have a special library that we don't have. And in those libraries, there is no works of Claude Bernard, Antoine Béchamp, Gaston Nessons, um, Stefan Lanka, what he's been doing recently, and even Louis Pasteur's private diary, which he admitted he frauded and cheated all of his experiments, which was released by Princeton in the 90s. These med students don't get to see this, and it's withheld in their libraries on purpose. So they're just told, this is how you do a cell culture. This is how you interpret the results. This is how you use PCR. They don't know why. And then the drug companies send around these reps to train them, well, this is the new drug for this. And they just, as we do, like you just said, the doctors themselves believe that the people who did these trials did them legitimately and you know like that they're legit so they don't go in and read the, the clinical trials themselves 
they just get told, here's the new drug, this is what um, symptoms it stops, and use it. And they might, we'll take you to Tahiti if you can sell, you know, a thousand of these things or whatever. So it's like, because medicine's so compartmentalized, as was the insurance, everyone just believes everyone else is competent. You know what I mean? And they don't actually look into each other and go, oh, my God, hang on. These people aren't competent. These virologists and epidemiologists, they, they're not competent. Not because they aren't competent people in general, but because their training is bogus. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you mentioned some some names of some uh, famous scientists. You mentioned Louis Pasteur. So how long has this debate actually been raging? This didn't just pop up in 2020, uh, germ theory versus terrain theory. How, how long has this debate been raging? Forever. I mean, there are anti-vaccination leagues from the mid-1800s already. And this stuff goes back to the 1700s. Germ, th germ theory goes back almost 400 years, actually. Um, so, and this is nothing new. This has been going on forever. The problem is that the pharmaceutical company, they just ignore, it's germ theory, not fact. And you have to first ask, how can this be a theory after 200 years of scientific research? You know, like, is it real or not? It should be a fact if it's a fact. And what they do, what germ theory is for people listening who don't know about this, uh, it started with the theory that the bacteria that you find, which actually comes from inside your body to chemically transmute dying dead tissue or damaged tissue into other particles or gases for removal, they kept finding sometimes, but not always, they would find these bacteria in the corpses of dead people who died of scarlet fever, for instance, and they'd, or, you know, they die and they find these bacteria and they believe that these bacteria cause the death. Now, the terrain people liken this to saying, well, the rooster crows right before sunrise, so rooster crowing must cause the sun to rise. Or firemen are always found at the scene of a fire, so firemen must be the cause of the fire. But this has been disproven time and time again by the Rosenau uh, Spanish flu where they blamed it on Pfeiffer's bacillus. But they injected, rubbed it into the eyes, down the throat, up the nose of hundreds of volunteers, couldn't make them sick. Claude Bernard disproved this. Antoine Bechamp disproved this. Gaston Nissan's disproved this. Um, Dr. Sellards of John Hopkins disproved measles. <laughs> you know, Dr. Heiss disproved chickenpox from New York. And John Enders. So it's just, despite the fact that it's been disproven over and over again. In fact, there were four doctors. Dr. Waite, Frazier, Thomas Powell from California, and Pettenkoffer. They ate injected, swallowed, nasally, uh, and sprayed up their nose, uh, everything they could, hundreds of so-called pathogenic bacteria, and never got sick once. They even went out to that cholera well that was famous in England and drank water out of it and during their lectures, and nothing happened to them. So th they've already disproven the bacteria. Now, the, the virus part, that comes from Louis Pasteur, who admitted he was cheating these experiments, but... They then said, oh, well, it's these little invisible particles that are flying around, somehow get into your body, go into your cell, multiply into a thousand copies using the cell, and then explode out and kill the cells and fly out around the thing. Now, the thing first you have to say is, well, mainstream science itself 
tells us that every day you have a thing called apoptosis, which means like regular cell death. Your cell's like, it's grandpa, he's old, he's got to die, right? They tell us that billions, 50 to 70 billion cells, they estimate a day, die from regular apoptosis. But are you sick every day from 70 billion cells dying? No. But they claim these viruses are making your lung tissue, and if you like a fraction of that, die and you're sick. And it doesn't make any sense. You're like, well, why am I not sick from regular apoptosis? And, and also, this they've never found a virus in the wild. It's never been found anywhere. It's never been found in the lungs of a sick or healthy person or anywhere. They've had control experiments by John Enders, who discovered this. Recently, Dr. Stefan Lanka and the people who did the monkeypox uh, original uh, isol alleged isolation experiments. And they found the same particles in healthy tissue and they even found them in the the kidney tissue of people with cancer in the 70s that are identical with so-called corona but they ignore that despite all the evidence that these don't exist they can only make them by chemically manufacturing these particles in a petri dish for a slide for electron microscopy and they do it by mixing your boogers with kidney tissue from monkeys or a fetus and then they add some cow serum and then they starve it and then they add kidney nephrotoxins which what they do is they cause what's called necrosis and lysis necrosis means a cell died not because it's old but because it's poisoned and lysis is when a cell kills itself by releasing an enzyme that breaks it into a million pieces and they, they use amphotericin gentamicin um phenol red and uh, trypsin these are chemicals that break down cell tissue then they also poison it further with glutaraldehyde formaldehyde they freeze it poison it stain it with lead uranium chop it up into a million pieces then hit it with like 300 degree electron microscope beams and go oh my god there's a virus particle there we can see it on a still slide and they say that we think that went into that cell multiplied and exploded out into all these pieces and you're saying yeah but the technique you use to make that slide causes what they call cyto the, the whole germ theory is based that a virus particle causes cytopathic effect meaning it goes into a cell it kills that cell and makes it break into a million pieces and explodes out everywhere else and makes everyone sick but the chemicals and the procedure they use also causes cytopathic effect so how the hell can you use a procedure that causes cytopathic effect to prove the particle they saw afterward caused the cytopathic effect? This is hocus pocus. It's nonsense. So that, that that's a good good summary and ex explanation there. And so 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 then the, the the logical response would be from someone who might not believe or un, you know think that what you're saying is credible they're going to say well what well there's people are clearly sick uh they they've got a fever they're coughing up uh sputum and uh, phlegm and um then a lot of people testify that they they were very sick with severe flu-like symptoms um so how are they getting sick if it's yeah, not a virus that's correct well people have been getting sick since the dawn of time and what you're talking about is what we call the terrain side of this argument. The terrain people are saying you're sick because the word disease, if you break it in half, it means cellular disease. 
So the terrain people are saying you're sick from many multitudes. There's no one fixed answer. Everyone wants this one answer. A lot of it can be psychosomatic, which causes biochemical change in the tissue uh, and uh, high acidity. If you're wearing masks, for instance, for COVID, <laughs> you're causing yourself respiratory acidosis, <laughs> all kinds of diseases because you're oxygen deprived. Um, there's biological, like there's environmental toxins. There's no SIBO and SIBO or the belief that you might get sick can actually cause you to get sick. And this has been proven time and time again. And mainstream science acknowledges placebo and nocebo. That's not like uh, a weird theory. They, they acknowledge that in the mainstream literature. Um, and there's all kinds of different reasons. And also, if you look at what's called iatrogenic death, which is people who die because a doctor did exactly what they were told to do in med school and the pharmaceutical industry, and they gave you the same drugs that like you're supposed to give, in every country, iatrogenic death is the number two or three leading cause of death in every country. And you could actually, it has been argued, that it's the number one leading cause of death because some of the things like heart attacks and not car accidents, but the medical ones, they actually are because of these medicines. Now, vaccines kill a lot of people and maim them, that's for sure. But most people don't realize that even regular over-the-counter prescription, not non-prescription, you know, aspirins and uh, Tamiflu and all this kind of crap, this stuff kills a lot more people every year. This stuff is highly poisonous, and if you don't take it correctly, it can kill you. And the prescription stuff they give you can kill you, and the antibiotics that they give you can kill you eventually. Um, so, you know, really what's going on, what the terrain people are saying is when you've got a fever, your body is detoxing toxic sludge. Um, that's why you have a cold, your boogers, uh, these are your excretory organs. They're trying to get toxins out of you. And I'm going to be crude, so, you know, pardon me, but I explain things simply. If you were, your digestive system, you eat a cheeseburger and drink three Coca-Colas and French fries. It doesn't digest because the Coca-Cola and all the stuff mixed together. Now you have to poo, right? If you were taking a poo, you wouldn't hold your butt halfway through and hold that poo in for a year. It would kill you. So what's happening is your body, when you have a fever and sweating or the chills and shakes, which are trying to squeeze toxins out of the tissue or a runny nose or vomiting or diarrhea or all the symptoms, your body's trying to remove toxins. It's trying to poo out your skin, your nose, your butt and your mouth. And what do we do? We take suppressants. We say, oh, that doesn't feel good. And you say, of course it doesn't feel good. You're purging toxins. The, you know, the Native Americans who were using sweat lodges for thousands of years, they knew you sweat the shit out when you're sick. So what we're doing is the big pharma is giving us medicine that stops your body from purging toxins. Now, these toxins have to go somewhere. They're not going to rainbow disappear into the ether. <laughs> like they're, you know, they got to get out of your body. And the bacteria's job is to come and help transmute them into other chemicals and things. So what you need to do is fast because when you eat, all of your, all of your energy goes to digestion. So, of course, when you get sick, you can't taste or smell things your body's doing you a favor by not making you hungry 
you need to stay in bed, drink a lot of water, get a lot of rest. You need to open the windows because you're farting and burping out poisons. And if you don't believe that, there's two guys who killed their wife with a Dutch oven where they thought it was funny putting her under the covers and farting on her after they had Mexican food and killed her. So if you don't think there's toxic gases coming out of you, you think again. That's brutal. Yeah, you know, so that's what's going on. So our whole medical industry is based on suppressing the body, which is trying to heal. We keep calling a fever or the flu sickness. It's not. It's healing. And all of pharmaceutical medicine is based on getting rid of symptoms, not the cause. And that's the crux of the whole matter. Vaccines, too. That's a that's a good way to explain it. Getting medicine, pharmaceuticals, getting rid of symptoms and not the cause. So so basically, what you're saying there's there's two schools, there's two schools of science and medicine uh, when we when we discuss germ theory and terrain theory or natural path versus the allopathic uh, pharmaceutical route. Okay, so but the, there's these two schools. Let's say German terrain. These two schools are, are trying, they're using their own lexicons. They're trying to describe the same phenomenon. In other words, what's happening is happening. But these two sides, uh, these two schools of science and medicine are, are describing it in a different way. Uh, you've just described it in what would be the terrain uh, theory way. But, but on the pharmaceutical side, I can't help, Steve, by believing that fear is, is, a, is a powerful tool. It's a very powerful tool, and this uh, germ theory is an incredible tool of, of control. I think that's one of the big lessons we all learned the last two years, Steve, but uh, your, your comment on this. Yes, and when you look into like what's called German New Medicine, or uh, you look into Bruce Lipton, you know, Biology of Belief, uh, Epigenetics, they're calling it, which is actually not a good name, but, okay, your cells don't know that you're being chased by a lion, your brain tells your cells that you are being chased by a lion and says, we need to do this now. You know, we need to release these chemicals. We need to make this transmutation. we got to run. But it's your brain and your eyes and your five senses that tell you and your mind that is telling these cells what to do. They can't see. Your cells don't have eyes, ears. They don't have five senses. So when you make someone think there's a threat out there like COVID-19 or AIDS or whatever, your cells don't know that. So you, your, if your brain is afraid of a threat, it will start making biochemical changes in your body that aren't good for you. It will make your pH balance turn acidic because it, it's, it needs to do certain things now. You know, people who run know this after if they don't stretch or walk after they run, they get a lactic acid buildup, right? Because they've been running. This is normal biology. Everyone knows this. So you have the same when you're afraid of a threat that's not there. You have acid buildup and your pH turns acidic and that's bad for cells that causes necrosis and kills them. It causes lysis and damages them. So we, we know this. And this is what this is what all this bioweapons, which we're going to talk about. Uh, this is a good lead-in into that. Uh, we'll get into that. They found, and I'll, I'll, I'll explain it when we go through it. They, they, they did the same thing the other doctors found. You know, Wait, Frazier, Thomas Powell. They found that the bacteria doesn't cause disease. It's the byproduct can. We all know that. If you, we know that you use bacteria to make alcohol. You can ferment potatoes and I think grapes. I'm not sure. Don't quote me. Yes. Right. So if you drink two bottles of vodka, 
and you got poisoning and need your stomach pumped, it's not the germs in the vodka. <laughs> it's the vodka, right? It's the byproduct of germ fermentation, which can make things like ethanol and uh, pneumonia. And, and uh, you know, there's a bunch of chemicals which can then make uh, 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 hydrogen cyanide. You know, they, that's why with, if you have gangrene where you have a tissue that dies well, because there's no oxygen to the tissue, the reason they cut off your foot or your leg is because when the bacteria inside you come to eat the dead tissue, the byproduct that they make from eating that tissue is really toxic. And that can go into the rest of your body and so-called spread, right? But it's not the, the bacteria. It's the byproduct of bacteria transmuting dead tissue. That's poisonous sometimes. And that's where people get all this wrong. They find these bacteria in the lungs of people who die of uh, tuberculosis, let's say. They say a million and a half people die of tuberculosis. They don't. That's just the name of the bacteria they find in the lungs of people who died with some kind of respiratory distress or syndrome. Then the lungs are crushed and they're dead and dying, and the bacteria they call tuberculosis come and eat that. And they keep saying, oh, the rooster crowed before sunrise, so it's the rooster. They're saying the bacteria they find in a dead body caused tuberculosis. When it's not, it's your own bacteria coming to dissolve your dead tissue. Just like everyone notices in their fridge, when you've got food in your fridge, why is it only the old food starts to have mold? You ever notice that? If these bacteria are flying all around the environment, why aren't they eating all the food at the same time? And why is it the one strawberry at the bottom of the pile or the one lemon in your drawer down at the bottom that's getting no oxygen and no light is the first one to mold. Why aren't they all molding at the same time? It's because that one's dying and the bacteria is not coming from magical fairies out in the atmosphere. It's coming from within the organism. And this is what uh, Antoine Bechamp and Gaston Nissan's proved. They showed this. It's coming from out of your cells in the organism to biodegrade things and transmute them into usable products or get rid of them. That's why you can dig up a corpse, you know, in 100 years and there's a skeleton there. Well, where did the tissue go? Did the germs get into the coffin? You know what I mean? Like, where? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, is it by magic, right? Uh, a hermetically sealed coffin. Yeah, and you have this with bed sores. You look at a patient, you know, a paralyzed patient, um, they get the bed. The reason they roll them over is because they get a bed sore on the part where the bed is because there's no light and oxygen down there. Now, if you study that tissue, you will find worms in there. And you have to say, well, you're in a hospital, which is completely sterile, you know, and hermetically sealed off. Where did the worms come from? Well, they came from within you. They didn't like what these worms crawl in, you know, and they only find them on the part that's laying on the bed. Never the top part because they're coming inside you. And that's the normal way that any biological entity breaks down dying, dead or sick or rotting tissue is through these germs. They're they're from within you. They come from out of your cells. But this has been proven over and over again, but the germ this doesn't work for trying to sell vaccines and Tamiflu and aspirin, you know, so they just ignore all the evidence that says the contrary. So so you're familiar with that uh, game show Jeopardy, right, uh, Steve? You remember that? Yeah. yeah. So we're going to do a little Alex Trebek exercise here. We'll call it Jeopardy, uh, Germ Jeopardy. 
germ jeopardy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something in the germ vocabulary, and I want you to translate it into terrain theory. Okay, you ready? I'm ready. Let's go, Alex Trebek for three hundred. For three hundred, <laughs> Steve Falconer for three hundred. Okay, Steve. Quote: I'm down with the flu. Go. Yeah, you're detoxing. Uh, it's probably it's probably uh, late. It's probably spring when the trees all lose their leaves and die. Uh, for some reason, you're a person who's accumulated some kind of toxin, stress, or worry. You're imbalanced, so you are sick because it's time, like all natural cycles, for your body to remove those toxins, and it's going to do it by fevering, shaking, and chills to squeeze the muscle tissue to get the toxic rot out of there, and you're going to have a runny nose to get rid of the lung tissue, and you're going to have maybe vomit vomiting and diarrhea that's what you're doing you're healing you're you're healing yourself okay so next one for for 300 <laughs> Steve falconer so i was really really sick i swear i swear i've never been that sick i know i had covid go yeah how do you know you had covid because the only ways to say that is a diagnosis from a PCR test or an antigen test that can't detect any such thing as COVID. So who told you you had COVID? And every time you get the flu, you're dying because that's what the flu is. If you hold those toxins in, you're going to die. So it's very painful. They call it the man flu. But a lot of people, because of the psychosomatics of the media, a lot of people go, no, 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 I've had the man flu. And I'm saying this is worse than any man flu I've had. And you're like, what, do you sit by your bed with a notebook and keep a, a score sheet every time you get the flu? Like, is this the worst one I ever had? Like, you know, the media is telling them that this is the worst flu they've ever had. But how do they know that? Pro tell, tell me how you know this is the worst flu you've ever had. How, how, what criteria are you using? Okay. Okay, this is the next one is a big one, Steve. It's a big one. This is for 500. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, look, there was the Spanish flu. There was the Hong Kong flu. These are viral epidemics. Go, Steve. Yeah, well, everyone after Hiroshima got sick. And everyone after Nagasaki and everyone after uh, what was the one uh, what was the one in Ukraine, you know, the, the nuclear plant uh, Chernobyl. Yeah. Was that a virus? Bears go into hibernation in Canada first and then Alaska and then it spreads to the United States. They go in right after. Did they catch hibernation from each other? <laughs> is, is it possible? There's another explanation. Right. Right. Like in the Spanish flu. What what else? What else was going on at that time? What other uh, things were introduced into populations? Well, uh, mass vaccinations of 15 to 24 poisonous vaccines. You also had the aspirin and phenol wars, people don't remember. Uh, Bayer lost their patent on aspirin in 1914, so everyone could manufacture them. Now we know when you take an aspirin, it says on the back, take two every four hours, no more than six a day. Back then, you went into a chemist, <laughs> and there was a jar on the, the counter, <laughs> Just took whatever you want. So all these people who are vaccine damaged and poisoned were probably popping a shitload of aspirin back then without any warning as to how many you can take. Um, so that could have been killing quite a lot of people. A lot of people on Arthur Furstenberg's camp where they say, oh, yeah, well, they also introduced um, 
uh, radar at the same time. So it was some kind of radiation poisoning. But that doesn't wash because people like Eleanor McBean's family who didn't take the vaccines and were all holistic, they didn't get sick. So where was the radiation you see, sickness is not, everyone's looking for a one fix answer for disease. Yeah. There isn't. It's a multitude and it's individualized. Yeah. And also asbestos was gone into mass production around that same time. Was it? it? Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. They put it in everything. They're making furniture out of it. It was like the wonderful miracle material. It was being marketed, you know, all all that sort of stuff. So it's just another example, Steve, of some major what I call toxic events in history, Um, like DDT. The chemical DDT coincides with the outbreak of polio Um, and things like this, you know, as a as a household chemical. Mothers used to spray it all over the place for mosquitoes back in the 50s. And you had this, quote, polio outbreak. And they yeah. and then they had a mass vaccination program after that. And then polio went up higher. Uh, so, and so um, yeah, there's you do have to look at a whole bunch of different factors. It's the same with that, you know, that cholera well they found in England. That's the big one everyone points to. Like, a bunch of people in this neighborhood got sick with cholera. And they were all drinking out of the same water wells, so we pinned it on the well, right? Mm -hmm. This is what's called an epidemiological observation. There's a lot of problems with that. A, it could have come from the well. Did the sewer waters get into the well, for instance? Mm -hmm. The first thing you have to ask is, did every single person in that neighborhood who drank out of that well get sick and die, right? Like... Or could there have been another cause, and it just so happened they all drank out of that well, but that wasn't the cause? Was there mass vaccination? Was there some kind of poisoning going on in the local fruit market because horses and people used to shit in the streets back then? You know, like, there could be many other causes. Just because you all drink water out of the same well, you could just as easily say it was the air. Mm-hmm. You could say it was the air because we all breathe the same air and some people got sick. So that's that's the whole problem with germ theory and people going, well, grandma got sick and then I got sick right after I saw her. Or, you know, dad and I got sick together or three kids got chicken pox at a chicken pox party, even though the other eight didn't. So these are epidemiological observations. You're just taking a guess, which is good. That's the basis of the first part of science is saying I have a theory that that well was causing cholera. Now, Pettenkoffer and some of the, and Dr. Snow, I think, they were doing lectures in that area and they went out to the well and were drinking water out of that closed well and nothing happened to them. So just because you have a theory, then you use, you should use science to test that theory rigorously. And the first part of science is supposed to be to set up an experiment that disproves your theory. That's what you're supposed to do in science is say, can I debunk myself? But virology, as you know yourself, they do all kinds of absurd things to prove themselves, like injecting poo into animals' brains directly and go, oh, yeah, that's transmission. You know, and you're not, that's not science. That isn't science. That's pseudoscience bunk. It's garbage. Okay, and the last one for a thousand, Steve. You're on a roll. You could break the uh, show's record here, um, and, and a trip to Hawaii uh, on top. We're going to throw it in, and a brand new car, and a frigidaire. <laughs> okay, I'm going to germ theory lexicon. Here we go. Yeah, AIDS. Go. Uh, 
People have had autoimmune diseases forever and ever and ever. Um, if you look at the symptoms of a, a, first, you have to say HIV because AIDS was the dying of what they claimed was a virus. Actually, HIV is what they claimed was an immune deficiency response. Now, that's been around forever. Immune, uh, there's nothing to be immune from, but uh, people have had these problems forever. Um, so what happened was they needed to, they were targeting gays, homosexuals, and blacks. So the PC, they first needed to get them sick. So they were using the normal shit we use in vaccines, but they were using bovine and uh, sheep uh, cancer cells in the smallpox vaccines and the hep B vaccines, which the gay adults were taking. Um, so it made them sick. Then they went out and took these HIV, either PCR tests or uh, antigen tests, told them they had AIDS, and then they offered them a cocktail, which was these chemotherapy drugs like AZT, which had been taken off the market 20 years earlier for a cancer treatment because they were killing healthy cells and destroying bone marrow and killing people. They were highly toxic. So the AIDS is dying from the drug, the chemotherapy treatment, but the HIV is just a test that can't detect any such thing telling you. That's why 10% of the population who went out and got tested, one of the th symptoms of HIV was no symptoms. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, oh, like, what? I thought this is like AIDS, you know. So the, the, what they did, because which will get us into bioweapons, they wanted to target these populations, but they found out they couldn't weaponize germs and viruses don't exist. So the, the way you did it was through psychological warfare you had to get the gays and the blacks to go out and take the test see so you ran these campaigns saying oh it's going around and uh, the gay populations they're all doing poppers and have hepatitis you're like yeah they're destroying their liver from drug use because they're partying and the, the blacks had these spiked smallpox vaccines that the Red Cross and all these do-gooders were going around injecting them all with. And they got sick because they were injecting cancer cells from sheep and, and cows into them. Then they take the test and then they say, oh, we've got the cure for you. It's this uh, this chemo mustard gas chemotherapy called AZT or others like it, which just happened to kill your healthy cells and, and kill your bone marrow. You know, so these people basically were poisoned to death. That's what AIDS is. You're poisoned to death. Yeah, this is well documented. Um, even in Robert F. Kennedy's uh, new book, The Real Anthony Fauci, has a nice section that kind of explains more or less, you know, the, the result of what you've just laid out there, what the sort of end result looked like in terms of, the, you know, the deaths and the AIDS casualty numbers and how it uh, really hit the 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 gay community uh, at the time and how more people died likely as a result of the medication rather than any uh, any virus like uh, HIV. So so this brings us to the the bio the bioweapons conversation, Steve. So the 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 assumption is, and we're told through school that the English weaponized smallpox put it on blankets, gave it to the Native Americans. That was the first biological weapons attack. Um, or that uh, in World War One they had weaponized botulism and Saddam Hussein had anthrax bombs. And you, you know all the different stories. Um, yeah. so, so is there any evidence of uh, bioweapons that have been successfully deployed? 
Well, that, I'm glad you actually brought up the Native American story. First of all, this is secondhand information. So if anyone out there, I looked for a lot of this, if anyone has any information on really that story, for all I know, that's a bullshit story. But you have to remember that the, the main crops uh, for the, to colonize, the, the colonies were apples and uh, berries, now, the 10 deadliest poisons in the world, cyanide comes from apple seeds, ricin comes from berries, and strychnine comes from berries. And then you have other ones like tetrodotoxin from blowfish, um, botrytotoxins from frogs, amatoxins from mushrooms, right? So there's never been proven there's such a thing as smallpox, a virus. It's never been proven to exist. It's never been isolated. It's never been genetically mapped. There's no such thing. What a pox is, is um, when the, you, you get so poisoned and then you have a, a reduction in collagen, which is the glue that holds the bottom layer of your skin to the top layer of your skin, it rips open in these blisters form. And if you're poisoned, then it will fill with pus. And if you're not poisoned, it will fill with water. Now, what could have been done if that story is true is it's very possible that they, because they were apple and berry farmers, then the Jesuits are notorious for poisons. They've been using them since the 1400s on record. They could have been making cyanide and ricin and strychnine from these uh, berries and apples and putting that on the blankets because you would use a blanket when you're hot or cold, sorry, you know. So you might start sweating and your skin would start soaking up cyanide, ricin, or strychnine poisoning. And the first place it would try to get rid of it would obviously be the skin because that's where it's coming in, which could form pox, severe pox, because of skin poisoning. You know, anyone who doesn't believe that, go. that's why you think people wash their hands when they work at chemical factories. <laughs> you don't want chemicals on your skin. So that could actually be an explanation for that. But I've seen no proof. The other thing is they were just genociding these natives. And it's a lot cooler for the history books to say they died of a disease than to say you murdered them all <laughs> with guns, you know? Yeah. So that's one story. And, uh, what was your other? I, I forgot the other. Oh, anthrax, weaponized anthrax. We, we hear a lot about this. This is one of the, you remember the anthrax scare, Steve, at, uh, after 9-11? Yeah, the, and that was already disproven. And that's the thing is also Dr. Wait Powell, I think Dr. Thomas C. Powell, he's in the record books for the man who ate the most uh, alleged pathogenic germs. He was eating them, injecting them, uh, snorting them, spraying them in his eyes. Uh, he did anthrax. He did bubonic plague. He did uh, all, all kinds of different ones. And he never got sick. So anthrax, again, like I'm saying, if you want to make anthrax, you can leave a potato salad out in the sun in the summer for three weeks and you, and you will make what's called anthrax. However, the bacteria they're calling anthrax is the internal bacteria of the potato salad coming to eat it as the sun's killing it and it's, and it's uh, you know, biodegrading. So the bacteria called anthrax is not poisonous. It causes no harm. It's been eaten hundreds and hundreds of times by Wait, Powell, uh, Pettenkoffer, all of these doctors. Nothing happened to them. If you eat the like we said with the alcohol, if you eat the potato salad, <laughs> we'll kill you. So that whole thing's bogus. You can mail people all the anthrax you want. Now these bio labs, 
So if you want, if there could be a bio lab because there are gases that are highly poisonous, like Novichik, VX gas, sarin gas. These, we know these these nerve gases will kill you. And you could also be making either aerosol versions or very fine powdered versions of ricin, cyanide, strychnine, um, brodificoum, the ones I mentioned. Um, so those could be biological weapons, but they're actually, they're not. They're just poisons is what they are. They're poisonous gases and powders. So you could have a biolab making those things. The only reason you'd be wearing a hazmat suit is so you don't breathe in the you know the aerosol or the powder you're making or the gas the nerve gas and the only level five biosecurity you know is to make sure no one breaks in and steals it so 200 percent of this nonsense comes from hollywood movies like outbreak with dustin hoffman you know and if you if you ever go i like dystopian films there's hundreds of them, films and TV series that are like a virus escaped from this lab and <laughs> this and that. But it's already been proven time and time again, bacteria don't cause illness and neither viruses don't exist. So the only bio lab you would have would be working with poisonous gas or poisonous materials like I just named. Um, so... If they were doing that, that's right, because you could spike a water supply, you know, for instance, with cyanide or ricin or any of those. Um, you could be dropping aerosol versions in the air or poisonous gas. But even if one of these plants exploded, the nerve gas, by the time it, I don't know, I don't know, what, you know, by the time it got a mile away or probably less, it would be diluted enough where it wouldn't be killing people. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so you saw this report, uh, the Russian MOD released this report, I think it was last, last week or something. They, they, had, they got a hold of the blood work of Ukrainian soldiers, and the inference was that they were you know, being experimented on, possibly. They said that uh, the high occurrence of hepatitis, uh, and the other thing was that they were a high level of antibiotics in their uh, system. Um, so the inference was that uh, either they, there was an STDs, sexually transmitted disease. So the inference was they were, you know, not, uh, you know, not good practice, um, risky behavior, taking a lot of drugs, potentially poisoned or taking pharmaceuticals. But nobody's kind of putting two and two together. In other words, they're saying, well, they've got hepatitis, but nobody's saying is that hepatitis because of the high antibiotic uh, count levels in their blood. So. The, the narrative is that something's in those biolabs, it's dangerous, and potentially it's going to escape. Not just what Russia's saying with these Ukrainian biolabs, yeah. they're also saying this in the U.S., you know, with Fort Dietrich or in China with the Wuhan lab. So did you you saw that story? What what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and that's the thing is, yeah, I was, I'll, I'll take it back to the beginning and then we'll go there because... It, because the germ theory is based on a, warf, a, a warfare model, that the environment's out to get you with all these germs and microbes and viruses, and they're out to kill you, and you have to, uh, you, you know, you have to build up a defense system. So they were very excited. You know, clearly the army was like, wow, we could weaponize these things, you know. The problem is the army then would have been hiring normal germ theory trained scientists, <laughs> you know, to develop these biological weapons programs. To their shock, after a while, they would have found out the same. They could have just asked, you know, Dr. Waite, Powell, Frazier, all the guys who had been eating these things for decades. 
they found that you can't actually weaponize bacteria because they don't cause harm and viruses don't exist. So what they found out was psychologically, and this is, uh, I did a film called uh, Trust Ultra, Trust Trust Ultra, Trust Naomi. Um, MK Naomi was the predecessor, or the, the precursor uh, after predecessor to MK Ultra, which was mind control. They found out it didn't matter if you had the biological weapon, what mattered is that the enemy believed you did. That's right. Just like the AIDS, right? All you needed was the gays and the blacks to go out and take a HIV test and then take the poisonous medicine. You didn't need to give them HIV. You just needed them to think they had it. And we just saw it with COVID. The whole world locked down their economy and stayed in their house and put on masks and injected themselves with mRNA technology for something that was never proven to exist. You don't need the, the virus. You just need them to believe in the virus. So that's what happened. It's these narratives they're pushing. It's It helps a military or political agenda you have to believe they have a reason to go in there and blow everything up. You know what I mean? Because if you knew better, you would be like, why, what's the, why are you blowing up that lab? They're just doing, you know, gain of function research and nonsense in there. Maybe they did have chemical weapons. I don't know. So the story you're talking about, yeah. Uh, hepatitis, it, at least the mainstream, they acknowledge that hepatitis A is not viral. They acknowledge it's from poisoning. Uh, so you, you've got really bad liver poisoning. Hepatitis is just your so like smoker's lungs. The more you smoke, your lungs turn black and get killed. Well, the more you poison yourself, the more you know you're gonna your your, your liver and kidneys are gonna get damaged. So hepatitis A, B, C, through the rest, they're just degradation of of your organs is all they really are um, from drugs and partying and toxins and yeah, whatever you're doing. Um, they blame the other three on viruses, but it, they're not because it's never been isolated or proven to exist. Um, so those soldiers in the story you sent me, yeah, they gave them a, three kinds of antibiotics, which are nephrotoxins. They kill your kidneys and livers because they're trying to process poisons and surprise, surprise, these guys got some fevers and kidney and liver damage, you know, and you're like, well, well, you just gave them drugs that causes that, and that story didn't say why they gave them the antibiotics. They were trying to say something, I remember, like it was a cholera a bioweapon or something like that, That's but right. again, cholera has been drunken hundreds and hundreds of times by these doctors and nothing happens if purified, so... Basically, from what I got from that article is whatever they did to those soldiers and then had to give them antibiotics, they poisoned them. And sure enough, they got hepatitis like, woo, you know, and <laughs> like and their veins were contracting like, they, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And the last thing I want to, uh, Freddie has, might have a question for you uh, as well. But the last thing I want to ask you was, you've had a look at this gain of function Wuhan lab story. And uh, I, we've seen Rand Paul trying to you know, roast Anthony Fauci a number of times. And who, who wouldn't want to roast Anthony Fauci? Let's be honest. <laughs> the, the cue to take a hit on that guy is just, it's like that film Airplane when they're all queuing up to... <laughs> To the hysterical old lady on the plane, and everyone wants to beat him. Uh, even, even the Buddhist monks were in the queue, you know. So everyone wants to take a hit at Fauci. Gain of function. 
what is gain of function? Has it ever been actually achieved in the virological sense? No, it failed because when they announced it in, I think, 2000, uh, in fact, I was just on uh, Dr. Sam Bailey and her husband, Dr. Mark Bailey's uh, podcast. We did a trilogue. They announced it in 2000 and said, this will be the end of disease, viral, uh, quote unquote, disease. Uh, but here we are in 2022 and people still get the flu <laughs> you know, and COVID. So what gain of function is, is the idea that you can either make a virus like deadlier or more contagious, right? So um, Sam Bailey, she did a very good video on it. Um, the first one, they, they, so they did a lab, like we've talked about, the, they make these viruses in a cell culture. So the, the first one they did gain a function was they tried to create an H5N1 bird flu virus in ferrets. Mm -hmm. And so what they did is they got sick ferrets, but they used a PCR test for H5N1. But as we've talked about before, there is no PCR test that can detect such a thing. Because such a thing's never been isolated, mapped, or proven to exist or cause disease. It's just a picture under an electron microscope. So that's the first problem you have is like, how do you know these ferrets have H5N1? And the thing you use to prove it is BS. So what they did anyway is then they took the sick ferrets and they, they put them in a cage next to healthy ferrets with uh, 10 centimeters apart with a screen between them. And then they inoculated the one ferret with a cell culture that they took from the snots of a sick ferret that tested positive with PCR, you know, for this H5N1 mixed with the, uh, I think they used dog kidney tissue this time. I don't think they actually used uh, monkey. I think it was dog tissue. Um, so they inject this toxic decaying brew full of chemicals into this ferret and then they put it in the cage and then they had a fan blowing across from the sick ferret to the healthy ferret. But unfortunately nothing happened. <laughs> the other ferrets didn't get sick. So, so then what they did is they took the cell culture itself and injected it right into these ferrets nose um, and they kept injecting it, injecting it. And then they killed the ferret, not from the injection, but they murdered the ferret four days later. They mashed up the nasal tissue from the ferret they had been injecting. And then they started injecting that into the noses of other ferrets <laughs> six times. <laughs> and two out of the three ferrets died. But it's because they were injecting, they were injecting them with biological tissue. So then what they did is they checked the genetic sequences of the nasal tissue of the ferrets they were injecting into, and they found a genetic change. So they said, oh my God, uh, there's a genetic change. We've transferred the virus. We have engineered you know, gain of function. We've, we've changed and engineered the virus. But no, the genetic tissue they found is genetic tissue Sorry, that didn't kill the ferrets. That was in the next experiment. Nobody died. None of the ferrets got sick from that one. But the genetic uh, change they found in the new ferrets' nose was because they were injecting genetic material from ferrets. They had <laughs> been poisoning. Um, so after they couldn't make any of them sick or hurt them, then they started putting the cell cultures right into their noses, like a massive amount of fluid, uh, which would be the equivalent of like... 
for a human like 100 milliliters, which if you sneezed on someone, you'd have to sneeze in their mouth like 2,000 times to make 100 milliliters of fluid. Um, so they started injecting this poison cell culture right up their nose, and that, sorry, that's what killed the two out of three ferrets. And they said, aha, we did it. We bioengineered, <laughs> you know, we've gained a function, H5N1. But they didn't. They just were injecting poison into these ferrets' noses. The only side effects the other ferrets had is some sneezed. <laughs> but that's because they used like a phosphate buffered saline on the nasal swabs, you know, so it was making them sneeze. But the, the danger of all this is that world leaders and governments, because they believe in germ theory, when they don't understand this is nonsense and they hear there's a bioweapons lab, this makes them very uncomfortable and they do things like what's going on right now, for instance. You know, Putin's coming in. For all I know, Vladimir Putin believes he's taking out a bioweapon or something. You know what I mean? He, he believes that they're making some kind of weapon because they don't know any better. There, there is no weapon to make. You can't weaponize germs or viruses. So a lot, of, a large part of this is psychological. It's psychological warfare. All of it is psychological warfare, three thousand percent. There's nothing of it that isn't psychological warfare. Absolutely. Yes, Tibi, uh, Freddie here. I just really came. I, I study a lot of the bio labs in, in Ukraine. I, I had the opportunity to, to write a few articles on on the matters. Look at the German bioweapons program. And then all sorts of activities, as you can imagine. And the only conclusion that we can come up when we dig deep enough, it's we, we're really talking about the threat uh, of a of a bioweapon rather than the bioweapon itself. So the message is far more important than the science itself. And I think it's been uh, politicized and uh, it's part of this geopolitical game that has been played, whether it's from the Russian side, the European or NATO or the United States. But uh, any, any scientist uh, uh, looking into this must be laughing really loud because everyone knows that we, we probably breathe in about 14,000 germs and bacteria per hour. You know, so if the germs were actually harmful, we, we will be dead by now. Anyway, uh, perhaps what, what I could add as well in, in terms, and I'm sure you probably kind of bump into the work of Antoine Béchamp. Uh, Antoine Béchamp was actually the real scientist behind uh, uh, Pasteur's work, if you will, uh, in France. Uh, and he was a scientist where Louis Pasteur himself was actually a chemist. Uh, he had absolutely no education in, in life science. So he, he took pretty much all the work from Antoine Béchamp and plagiarized uh, the entire research and distorted it tremendously. And what he did is actually submitted all this research to the French Academy of Science and as, his, as its own, like he owns the material and the research. And uh, by making it public, this is how he, he became extremely famous. He was like a pop star of science when the guy is not a scientist whatsoever. Now, what we know is uh, he was very much, and the French are very much aware of that, that he's, he was pretty much responsible in large part of the the onslaught of animal experimentation in medical research. That's what he was known for. And what he was doing is he, he, he used preparation made from diseased, uh, sorry, diseased uh, tissues of previously sick animal and thus obviously making these uh, injected ones very, very sick. And that, that basically gave the appearance that 
a germ caused the disease. Uh, and that, in fact, all we are talking about here is that these preparations were extremely poisonous. And listening to, to your entire presentation today, really the, the, the word that is really at the very center of everything you describe is poisoning. And, and, and I think that when we look at it from, from this point of view, then everything starts to make sense. What we are saying with the H1N1, what we saw with the COVID-19 vaccines and everything, what we are saying is basically the poisoning. And, and that's very, very critical in, in, in the research which I did on the biolab. I, I, I saw poisoning. I didn't see any real bioweapon threat. I think that's yeah, the vaccine is a bioweapon. That's poisoning. That's yeah, it's exactly. And you're right. Yeah. And the thing is, yeah, you know, um, Bechamp, he found he, he did all, you know, he, he called them microzyma and later uh, Gaston Nassan's called them somatids. He found out that these we it's the Bible says from dust we come and dust we return. And these bacteria, these guys saw it and found out that they come from these little spores and they grow into a like a bacterial form. And then they can go into a double rod form and then they can go into a yeast form and then they can go into a fungal form. So when you hear these hospitals have a super, uh, super resistant strain, you know, bacteria running around super bugs, the reason, how come your house doesn't have them? Well, hospitals are the only places where they're giving out antibiotics like candy to everybody. And when you kill bacteria, they don't die. You, Beisham, you, as you know, actually, Freddie, they, you can't kill bacteria bacteria they return to spore and come back bigger and meaner because they know there's a threat so yeah. and, and also very important is that the bacteria itself they, they don't have any uh, action on live cells itself they only have action actually on dead cells they are not the cause of the disease but the results of it you know and then then that changes pretty much everything when you look yes at yes and that that's exactly it and they can change their shape and their biochemistry to deal with the situation and that's what they found so that's what's going on. And this all goes back to Robert Koch. The reason that all of our drugs are petrochemicals, you know, you say like, why are the oil companies like Rockefeller and IG, IG Farben, you know, you look at all the, the their chemical companies. Well, Robert Koch had like these bogus microscopes back in the day. So he had to stain the slides to see the bacteria he was studying, right? So he got these dyes, these chemical dyes from the, chem the IG Farben and all these chemical manufacturers in Germany. Well, what they found out is when they dyed the slides, the paints were so poisonous, they were even putting holes in bacteria and destroying them and making them go back to spore form like Bechamp and Gaston found. So they were like, oh my God, these paints kill bacteria, right? So now when you get a strep throat, your bacteria is coming to heal the damaged material and get rid of it. Well, if you ever open up an antibiotics capsule, you'll see all these little pretty pink, neon green, neon yellow. You ever see how neon these little balls are all colored? <laughs> They're giving you poisonous paint because <laughs> it kills your bacteria. But the thing is, the bacteria's job is to eat the tissue that's dead. So if you kill it, it goes back to spore. Then it comes back as a yeast. And the hospitals go, oh, my God, we have a yeast infection outbreak going on here. And you're like, that's because you're killing everyone's bacteria and so that with antibiotics. So they're coming back as yeast and fungus. 
And these things are mean and hungry, man. You don't want a bunch of these things eating you up from the inside. You know what I mean? There is a problem. If you have too much of them in those forms, it will start eating some of your healthy tissue. You've got a problem there. So, But they're creating it. Their drugs are creating the yeast infection. You see what I mean? You're not, there's not yeast flying around in the air infecting you. They did it. They made your bacteria change from single and double rod form into yeast form because it knows if it comes back as a, a rod form, this antibiotic's going to kill it. So it's smarter. <laughs> it just puts on some armor and gets bigger. And, and Steve, that brings us to the, the, the issue of antibodies, okay? So an immunologist studies antibodies, and the, 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 the wisdom, the received wisdom of vaccines is that when they do the clinical trials, they look at the, quote, immune response, uh, antibody response after vaccination. And if it's a high level of antibodies after the vaccination, they're saying that's a good immune response. That's a good vaccine result. And they mark that down in the clinical trial as the vaccine is effective. It provides the immune response and the body somehow has this memory and it remembers little pieces of the virus that were put in the vaccine and protects you for a period of time and so forth. So that, it, it, tell me if I got that right. Is that the basic uh, of, a theory behind vaccinology? And tell us what's actually happening. Translate this to, for us. Yeah, great question. You have that right. It's a theory based on a theory based on a theory based on a theory based on a theory. <laughs> so that's science. So the idea is that antibodies are specific, they say. These are little Y-shaped uh, chemicals. They say um, if you have of this virus particle, which has never been proven to exist, uh, your body will make specific antibodies that aren't interested in anything else but this virus particle. And they will either, the theory is, it will either attach to the spiked proteins on the virus particle, which will, which will then attract killer cells to come and tag it and take it away. Or if that virus particle is trying to attach to your cell receptor, which is also theoretical, Dr. Harold Hillman, this is another can of worms. There's no proof that cell receptors aren't also a product of killing cells and looking at them under an electron microscope. That's theory that we, our cells have receptors. There's no proof of this. But the theory is that this theoretical virus particle will have these antibodies attached to them. And then if the killer cells don't remove them, when they try to attach their spike proteins onto the cell receptors, these antibodies will block it from being able to attach except when they don't <laughs> and then in that case when they magically burrow into your cell somehow despite not being alive or having any f way to do so it will stop them from reproducing inside your cell and exploding out and making copies that's the theory now the problem is they've done studies on people who had what's called a gamma globulinemia which these are kids and people who they can't make antibodies they don't have them so they've done studies and these kids get measles, chicken pox, mumps, rubella, same shit we all get. 
and they recover fine and they never get them again, which is the whole point of a vaccine is they say, we're going to inject you with this shit, plus all these chemical adjuvants, poisons, you know, uh, formaldehyde, nail polish, remover, mercury, <laughs> they put all this other stuff. And they say that's going to make all these antibodies, which are going to stop a launch of viral protection defense. Well, you say, how can these kids who don't have any antibodies, how is it that they also get rid of their uh, so-called, uh, you know, virus and, and never get it again so they don't have any immunity and they did studies in Gateshead with diphtheria and found that the people who had diphtheria they had way more antibodies than they should have had they should have been immune they shouldn't have diphtheria and they noticed nobody working with all these people ever caught diphtheria nobody the workers the bed workers the nurses the doctors none of them got it and they started testing them and they started finding out they didn't even have enough antibodies they shouldn't they shouldn't have been immune and they never got it you know so they're like what the hell's going on here because in people who work with antibodies they're scientists again to get back to where we started the medicine departments are compartmentalized and they're not talking to each other. Virologists and epidemiologists are not talking to antibody scientists and biochemists. They're not speaking each other's language. They know that antibodies are not specific. You can get them to attach to 60 different things or if you change the acidic level, the pH level in the, the culture you're working in or add detergents, you can get them to not bind to anything. So they have nothing to do with binding anything. And you have to say, as I said in the film, if antibodies are specific, why are you injecting me in your vaccine with formaldehyde and nail polish remover and mercury? Wouldn't my body make a nail polish remover anti antibody, you know, and a, and a formaldehyde windshield wiper antibody? Why would you be injecting me with windshield wiper if I'm supposed to make an antibody that only cares about a virus? Wouldn't I just make a windshield wiper antibody fluid, you know, that is only concerned with that and not the virus? So their own science is massively contradictory, and there's no proof. Anyone who works with antibodies knows this is nonsense, and there are dozens of studies, not just the Gateshead England studies. There are dozens that show this is nonsense. So the whole point of a vaccine is supposed to be to make an antibody, a theoretical antibody that attaches to a theoretical virus that's never been found in nature to stop it from attaching to a theoretical cell receptor that <laughs> might not even exist, to stop it from going in and causing a theoretical cytopathic effect multiplication and exploding out. This is a theory based on a theory based on a theory. This is nonsense. It's the utter bullshit. That's all I can say. It's the biggest crock of shit you ever heard. Well, there you go. <laughs> Wait, we got. Look, we're gonna wrap. We're gonna wrap this segment up in a minute. Freddie's got one last uh, question for for you, Steve. Sure. It's not really a question. It's just bridging the gap because, of course, the um, the uh, the germ theory uh, is a dogma, and there's no doubt it's a dogma. And then you you buy into it or you don't. Uh, unfortunately, many have, have bought into that, and that's what the, the scientists of today are. Uh, are mentally uh, leaning towards to. But uh, what I've really looked into, because I was very interested in, in climate change as well, and, and if we are to dismiss the, uh, the germ theory and looking at the body de detoxifying itself, this has to be repeated also at a much larger 
in, in, the, in the ecosystem itself, if you will. We're part of an ecosystem. So if it applies to the body, it also must apply to the atmosphere, to the biodiversity. It applies on a, almost on a universal level, if you will. And when I look into it and you look at uh, the, the research that, uh, that have been made in that sense, like... Uh, Probably, probably an example that is great is the research made by the, the, the Max Planck Institute for Chemistry in Mainz. And what they've they found is that the concentration of hydroxyl radicals in the atmosphere has changed very little in recent years. Now, if you know that hydroxyl radicals clean the air by breaking down the organic substances, substances such as climate-damaging methane, then clearly you can see that it refutes very quickly the view held by many scientists who believed uh, that the atmosphere is very sensitive to air pollutants, when actually the atmosphere itself has a self-detoxifying uh, process, self-cleansing process, and atmosphere cleans itself more efficiently than actually it was previously thought. And what we are saying is they're coming with their poison and poisoning the atmosphere and, you know, changing everything because based on the dogma that uh, we can treat everything, not letting basically nature take over and do what it's supposed to do. So I think it's a very profound way of looking at that. If it happens and if we are to dismiss the gene theory, we must look even further and look at also looking at uh, the entire science, you know, that's telling us that we need to intervene in order to treat, in order to vaccinate, you know, and uh, the climate change is full of that. It's the military approach is what Steve said before, right? Steve, you're saying that, you know, pharmacology, it's attack, attack, destroy, yeah. intervene, another drug, another chemical to fix the problem when in fact... This, this this is a potential disaster when you take this approach. But your final your final thoughts on on this, Steve, and we'll uh, we're going to round this up uh, for for this week. But go ahead, Steve. Yeah, well, what Freddie just said is is the it's it's the nail on the head. He's hit the nail on the head. Nature can take care of itself. If your body has the correct vitamins, and I don't mean pills, I mean food vitamins. There, there's a difference between synthetic vitamins. If it has the right mineral salts, your body is a machine, just like your car. If you don't change the oil and your spark plugs are dirty and your gas tank is empty, the thing's not going to drive. And it's the same with your body. If you have the right natural food vitamins and the right uh, mineral cell salts in the right conditions, it's trying to self-heal. All the great naturopathic doctors are telling you that. They're saying, you just leave it alone. When you have a, the flu, just sleep, drink lots of water, open the windows to get fresh air, and, and that's all free, you know, and let your body is, will heal itself. It, get off the drugs and off the medicines. When you start taking the drugs, that's what's killing you. All the flu stats, you know, 650,000 people die of the flu every year. No, they don't. They die because they're sitting in bed taking aspirin and Tamiflu and all this other shit and not opening the window and freaking out and stressing. They're, di they're not dying from the flu. They're dying because they don't let nature take care of the flu. The body can take care of itself. And they all say, just get out of the way and let it do it. Just like Freddie just said. Every year, the trees die, you know, in the winter. They come back in the fall, you know, like they're not that sick. <laughs> it's a cycle. It's a cyclical cycle of healing and regeneration and rebirth. 
get out of the way and we keep studying biology and microscopes of dead tissue and dead cell, that's not how you study living biology. You need to study living things. We just don't have the technology to start doing tech, uh, cellular uh, you know, biology because it has to be killed, stained, poisoned, frozen, sliced up. So we, we don't understand biology and this is the crux of the matter. And because we don't, this is how this cartel, as you put it, Patrick, before, is getting away with all of this crap is because that we just believe the lab coat people, but we don't know that the science they're being taught is bullshit. It's not natural. It's so unnatural. You cannot study nature in an unnatural way. And I'll just leave it at that, period. Yeah, it's a good, uh, it's a good point to, to wrap up on, but... Uh, yeah, that was a good discussion, Steve. And we didn't get into biosurveillance. And you know what a absolute scam that is when you realize that all biosurveillance or detecting epidemics and pandemics is based on PCR tests and lateral flow antigen tests. And we're back to square one again. Yeah, uh, it's Ted Ross guy, he's got to go. This guy's dangerous to this world. He's got to go. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's another discussion maybe we can have at a later date, I hope. Um, but that's that's one of the things I'm, I'm also sort of digging in on and trying to raise a little bit of a conversation on um, as well. But listen, Steve Falconer, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to talk to you. And I speak to myself and, and Freddie as well and uh, the team at ACR. We really appreciate your time joining us and uh yeah good luck with your your work and just give us a shout out where people can see space busters in your latest film yeah you can see uh, the latest film the end of germ theory we're uh, currently we're number nine on BitChute's monthly trending list which is good out of several million uh we also we're called space busters there we also have an odyssey channel um i think we're on youtube and um Rumble, I think now. I think we've been uploading videos to Rumble, and we do have a YouTube channel, but we're not allowed to <laughs> put any of this on there. But we still have a YouTube channel with I don't know thirty thousand subs, so you can you can go on there. I post on the message board, but that's it. If you if you just Google, and I would also like to say if you watch the end of Germ Theory, I made another uh, film before called Germs Debunk Corona, which is like about the bacteria because I get this a lot. A lot of people say, all right, viruses aren't real. I get it. They don't exist. But bacteria, that for sure makes you sick. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. It's all crap. Germ theory is germ theory. That includes bacteria. So please, if you watch my film, and thank you if you do, go watch Germs Debunk Corona. Just Google it and you'll find it. Um, because we get into all of this. Well, why did grandma get sick and then I got sick? You know, um, We get into more of, of what's really going on and what is causing illness. And maybe I will make a movie more about placebo, nocebo, German new medicine. Um, there's a paradigm change going on right now there's a lot of very exciting new sciences coming out and for the people who are following them this is a game changer and i you know if we win in 50 years um we could be looking at biology completely differently in 50 years if they win they'll just keep rewriting the history books and covid will be another spanish flu yeah, and a reoccurring crisis every every season, as they're attempting to do right now for the fall and the winter. But we'll 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 keep an eye on all this, and we'll we're going to stay connected with you, Steve. And uh, again, we really appreciate you joining us this week. 
Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and I appreciate you giving me the attention, Patrick. Not many people want to talk about this. So, uh, you know, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, and again, I really appreciate you taking the time to let me say this. No, it's okay. We're very happy to entertain the uh, far, uh, the cutting edge, the the what they call the fringe, the far fringe. This is the most interesting part of the discussion, and you're right there, uh, pushing the envelope on that, Steve. So, and your colleagues as well. We'll hopefully get some of those on uh, the program in the future as well. But uh, take care. Thank you. You too. And Freddie, nice to meet you and chat with you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. It's a pleasure as well. All the best. Thank you. There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, that is Steve Falconer, the voice of Space Busters and so many great independent films. Check out, there's a link actually to the end of Germ Theory. It's on our show page right now. It's a good starting point. And again, you can check out uh, Germ's Debunk Corona, another classic that uh, Steve's put out. And there's many other films as well. But uh, we're going to take a break now.